We just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you, Father, for every opportunity you give us to come together as your children, as your people, a people called by God, a people given his name, a people who are set apart for your name, your glory, your honor, oh Father. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Even this evening, Lord, we just thank you. We just thank you, Father. As we come to the ministry of the word now, Father, I pray once again, give us hearing ears. Oh, Father, hearing ears, Lord, that we may hear, that our hearts may be quickened, our souls and our spirits may be prepared, O oh God, for no man knows the hour or the day when the Son of Man will return. And your cry is that when he comes, Will he find faith on earth, O God? That's the reason we have come together, Lord. For faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Speak to us, O God. Quicken us, O Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Every time we come, remember the book of Hebrews says, As we see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? Not Independence Day, that's tomorrow, but the actual Independence Day where every saint of the past 2,000 years were groaning to be set free from this body that holds us from seeing and knowing who God is and what his kingdom is like. Like, yes, honey, like we saw about Moses who was able to leave Everything that almost everybody in this world pursues. He left everything because he saw him who was invisible. So this, this evening as we once again go back to the word. When we study the word, please remember. The purpose of studying the word is so that the kingdom of God becomes clearer and clearer and clearer for us as we, as that day approaches. So we look at patterns again from the Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, God had a people separated from Egypt. In the New Covenant people, God has a church, ecclesia, meaning a people who are separated from the world. That's the first thing. Unless you're separated from the world, we will not be able to see what God is seeing or what God is preparing for us, or God, what he wants to teach us, show us. In the Old Covenant, we will see when he brought them into the desert, one of the first things he tells them is to make the temple, the tabernacle in the wilderness, something that God asked them. You see, he hasn't given them a house. He hasn't given them a land. He hasn't given them anything. But he says, you prepare a place for me so that I can dwell among you. That's the first thing he asked, that you prepare a place for me. And the New Covenant, you will see once they come in, and the kings begin, Saul is not interested, so God cannot speak to that man. It is David who prepares a tent for God's tabernacle for his ark to rest. And then we see Solomon building the temple. So we'll always see this pattern in the Old Testament and this pattern in the New Testament. Solomon builds his incredible temple. But the temple is there. But the people of God fall away from that God who dwells, his presence which is there in the temple. They go into apostasy and they go into captivity. And before they go into captivity, you will see what is destroyed finally is the temple is destroyed. 
the temple is destroyed. Jesus will return the focus back to the temple, but in a different way. The apostles will ask in the new covenant, you have another temple, the temple which Herod has built. And when they draw Jesus' attention to the temple, he says something, not even one stone will be left of that temple. One stone upon another will not be left. But he draws the attention to another temple that he will build. He says three days. In three days, he will build another temple. And the two days are over, almost over. The third day is almost. Can you hear at the back? Maybe you can reduce the fan by one knot. Okay. He says three days. Two days are over. So the temple construction is going on. Nobody sees the construction. Like in Solomon's temple, nobody heard the sound because the stones were but being cut in the quarry. Nobody saw it. Nobody heard it. But the construction was going on. At the site where the construction, where the temple would be ultimately built, there was no sound. In the same way, two years, two years, meaning 2,000 years, two days have passed by. Nobody's hearing the sound because there's a silent work of the Holy Spirit going on. The temple is being built. And then the third day is coming in. And at the end of the third day, he will have a temple, a church, which is corporate and individuals. So there is a warning in First Corinthians chapter 3. First portion we will read today. First Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, oh, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 3. No, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Don't you know, I'm reading from the NIV version. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? That's how we become the temple, okay? Solomon could build... Uh, David could build, Moses could build, but it becomes a temple only when God's spirit came over there. How do we know that God's spirit lives in you? And verse 17 says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy or sacred and you are that temple. Okay, scripture says you are that temple. If you come to the book of Ephesians and chapter 2, in verse 19 to 22, this is how Paul will put it across, the Holy Spirit through Paul. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together, that's a temple, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the individual and the whole church is included here. You and the whole building. Remember God's person. See, that's why we have this entire pattern in the Old Testament about the temple and down to Malachi. He's Christ about the temple. That he has no honor there. He has no honor there. So you will see right through Exodus all the way till Malachi, the, this, this narrative about the temple because that physical picture is given to us because in the new covenant, God is making our temple individually and corporately. Why is it so important? Because no, if you don't see that is invisible. If you look into ourselves, we don't see that temple. But you have to see that temple. 
you have to see because we are so so caught up with the with the temporal world we do not see the world that is coming the kingdom that is coming so keep that at the back of your mind because we miss sight of what is actually that is important so let's go back to the history of the kings and go to second samuel and pick our narrative for tonight from there second samuel and chapter 7 okay second samuel chapter 7 Verse 11 onwards I will read, okay? And have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel, I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Then, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your seed to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be his father and he shall be my son i'm reading the simpler translation okay and i i will be his father he will be my son when he does wrong i will punish him with the rod of men with the floggings inflicted by men but my love will never be taken or my kjv and kjv all use the term mercy My love, my mercy will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So if you look over there, if you look at the whole thing is that when God is speaking this to David, he's not actually talking about Solomon's temple. talking about another temple and he says it is he who will if you look at the word establish is repeated over there he says i will establish this i will establish his kingdom i am building a house for my name i am establishing the throne of his kingdom so it's not talking about solomon's temple it's talking about something else okay something else so god is talking about us individually and corporately he's building us for himself that's not what the world thinks we build ourselves for ourselves god is building us for himself don't ever lose that perspective what he's doing in us is so that he will establish a house and he will establish his kingdom in us he will build a house in us for his name and he will establish the throne of his kingdom in us and there is something he tells there in verse 14 which is interesting okay interesting and scary okay I will be his father and he will be my son. Okay? Everyone in whom God is doing the work of building his temple, he says I become your father and you become my son. The father God the father through the spirit in every son and daughter whom he has chosen, he's doing a work in them. And then he says, when he does wrong, I will punish him. How will I punish him? I will punish him with the rod of men. and with the floggings inflicted by men with the rod of men with the floggings inflicted by men meaning what i will do is that i will cause situations in your life through other people through other people what people in the world call has pro- trouble 
And what happens in God's children life are two different, entirely two different things. For them it is trouble. For it, it is discipline from our Father. And He uses people, the hands, the tongues, the lives of people to create trouble for us because He is flogging us. But there is says something else. He says, but my love will be never taken away from Him or my mercy. Remember this, the next part of it. As I took it away from Saul. You see, one of the most important things in our life should be that God does not take his mercy away from us. His mercies are new every morning. Only from those whom he hasn't taken away. Okay, from Saul. There were two kings. There was Saul, there was David. But from Saul, he took his love, he withdrew his love, he withdrew his mercy. With David, he did not withdraw his love, he did not withdraw his mercy. Why? <coughs> It's because David accepted the discipline of God. Accepted the discipline. Familiar verses. Let's let's go back to that. Hebrews chapter 12. I am reading because I can find, find those scriptures faster than your mobile. Okay, Chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. That's why I'm using NIV. If I use another Bible, I won't be able to find it. NIV meaning my Bible, the one I used all these years. Okay. Verse 5 and 6. You have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son or daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. 7. Endure hardship as discipline. What does that mean? Don't try to make life comfortable for your children. God is treating you as a son. God is treating you as a When we make life comfortable for our children, we are not treating them as sons and daughters. We are paving the way for their destruction. Chapter 3, verse 19. <clears throat> uh, that's Revelation 3, 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Okay, you see the issue is this concept of love and discipline are difficult for a carnal man to understand. The child doesn't understand that my father or my mother disciplines me because he, she loves me. And God actually says God disciplines whom he loves and he loves whom he disciplines. And if he doesn't love you, he doesn't doesn't dis discipline you. So if you are going through a life where the hand of God is not there at all, no discipline at all, it's a cool life, you actually need to realize it's the most dangerous road you can be in. That means he has either you don't know him or he has withdrawn his mercy from you. That's how he left Saul alone. He never disciplined him after a point. <clears throat> Once he takes away his love, his mercy, he takes away his discipline too. Okay? You may have trouble in your life, but that trouble is not the discipline of God. The difference between the trouble you face in your life and when it is actually discipline is, you will learn about God. You understand God. You know the nature of God. 
You need nature of God. So that's how you read the trouble in your life. As you go through the trouble in your life, are you getting to know God better or not? That's what David would say that unless you had smacked me, I would not have known you. But all the trouble in Saul's life never taught him one thing more about God because God had already lifted his love or his mercy from him. So we learn the nature of God. One of the things about the nature of God is that we know it, that God is faithful. He never forsakes his people. Whether it is Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, the list, you will see God was always faithful to his word. It was man who was unfaithful to him or it was they who turned away from God. God never turned away from him. The disciplining is the building of the temple. That is the work in the quarry. In the work in the quarry is a very painful work. He's using the chisel and the hammer. Okay? He's building a temple where he can dwell, not we can dwell, where he can dwell. If you looked at what was happening over there when Solomon builds the temple, you will see the best was given. The best was given. And the best skilled workers were given. And God's design was strictly followed. What I tell people when I go to other places is this. If God hasn't given you good teachers in your church, it's a judgment. Because when Solomon built his temple, the best skilled artisans was given to build the temple. If you have sloppy pastors who never work on their word and give you a 10-minute comfortable message, you know what? It's not building you. It's not building your temple. It's not preparing you. It's not chiseling you. Be very, very careful. Because when Solomon built his temple, the best materials his father gathered and he gathered the best, the best skilled artisans. And what did they follow? They followed the design that was given in vision by God to David. Strictly followed, meaning we strictly have to follow in preparing a people by the word of God. At the end, when it was built, it's very interesting, okay? After the temple is built, if you come to, if I'm right, First Kings, chapter 7, and verse 21, one of the things that was done, which was outside the temple, Okay, if you look at uh, verse 15, you will see. He cast two bronze pillars, each 18 cubit high and 12 cubits around by line. Huge two bronze pillars. They had nothing to do with the temple. They're not in the temple. They're outside the temple. Two pillars just standing over there, like our, uh, not even Charminar is top of a building, like Kutubinar. Just standing, two pillars, two huge pillars. So anybody who was coming to the temple, the first thing that caught their eye was these huge two pillars. Though it had nothing to do with holding the temple up, these two pillars were there and it had a real spiritual purpose. Scripture says, he erected the pillars at the portico of the temple. The pillar to the south he named Jakin and the one to the north, Boaz. Okay, He named it. Two names. Now Jakin means... He will establish. Boss means in him is strength. 
So this was a reminder to everybody who came to the temple. It is who, who he who established and it is in his power, his might, his strength, it will be established. This is not the work of man. These two pillars were kept over there. Before you went into the temple at the portico, two huge pillars over there. One was called Jachin, the other was called Boaz. What is it? He will establish and in him is strength. And this is the truth which we have to understand. Only he can establish. Remember, that's what was told to David. He will establish, he will establish, he will establish. And only he has the power, the strength to establish. This is what we call, once it is up, you can listen to the Monday morning message at the pastor's conference over there. You know, the sovereignty of God and the purpose of God. This is the sovereignty of God and this is the purpose of God. What God is doing in everybody's life is not our purpose. It is his purpose and it is his power which will happen. And in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, this is how Daniel will say it. Daniel 2 and verse 21, he will say, He changes times and season. He sets up kings and deposes them. He changes times and season. He sets up rulers and he removes them. Please understand. Why I am saying is that when all these things are happening around the world, we don't get moved by any of these things because we understand everything is working under to the according to the plan of God. Like we looked on Saturday pastor's conference. God has his timeline. Everything is there. And we sitting in the house of God who don't understand it. And if we don't understand it, who have heard the word does not understand it. We are the most pitiable of all people. Because the entire Bible is very clear. Everything is being shaken. That will be shaken. And everything that is happening is part of the being shaken. And we are the only people who know what is happening. And because we have inside knowledge. Inside knowledge. You know, you know in trading, stock market trading. Insider knowledge, you will be penalized. You know, insider. I mean, somebody knows something. Like yesterday, markets crashed. Reliance went up. Okay, Reliance went up. Reliance went up because Aramco is buying 20% stake in Reliance oil. But if somebody before that became public knew and he went around and invested 20 crores in Reliance this thing and two days later the news comes, the stock market, he's making an incredible profit. But you know what? He will be penalized because he had insider knowledge. So we are the set of people who have insider knowledge about what's going, what is happening because God's kingdom is coming closer and closer. And God says, like that fellow who made a killing in the market is walking, laughing all the way to the bank. God says, hold up your heads because your redemption is near. You lift up your heads because your redemption is here because you know exactly what is happening because you have been given inside knowledge. What is happening from Genesis chapter 3 from the promise of the the seed of the woman will crush his head all the way to Revelation. We have insider knowledge. We learn how to read the times and the signs. That's why God told David through Nathan, God will establish. He's the one who established. I will establish his throne. I will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And scripture says, to those who understand this and follow this, God says, my mercy and my love will never be lifted up from their lives. So it is God who establishes. Not man, not the devil, not the kings, 
not governments or as we say in India, not even fate. It is God. And we have to understand in Proverbs 16 and verse 9, scripture says, In a heart man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Meaning men, believers and unbelievers. Okay? Prime Minister Modi or President Trump, they can make all their plans. But even when they make their plans, they do not realize that that it is sovereign, supernatural control of God. Their plans are being made to fit into God's plan, which was already made. Okay, if you closely look at the devil, you will see even he has a rope around his neck and the end of the rope is in God's hand. That's what it means. Absolute control God is. Every event is taking place accordingly as God has planned from the beginning. No accidents are there in the world. Everything has been planned out by God. So scripture says, we can purpose whatever you want. But God is working out his plan and his purpose. In Psalm 37, this is how uh, um, David will say in verses 23 and 24. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his firm steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Okay. Man delights in God and God delights in man. And he says, even if you goof up, I lift you up and I will uphold you because I'm working out your, my plan in your life. Everything, everything is working out to God's plan. Do not get discouraged. I mean, on Monday, it was interesting that after the meeting was over, all the pastors who came to me and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. We needed that word. It was a timely word because people get depressed when they see and read heaven, uh, no, politics and what is happening. We get depressed because our hearts are still attached to this kingdom and to this world. And our homes are dreams are here. So when you see things happening, the first thing you look is, oh, my dreams are coming, crashing down. Yeah, it is. But not his plans. His plans, no man can change. No man can change. So what David was told through Nathan is exactly what God tells us to pray. Thy name be hallowed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. It is the same prayer. There is nothing different. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 8 to 11, remember this, fix it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. That is Isaiah 46 verse 8 and 9. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And from the east, I summon a bird of prey. From the far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Words God speaks. He says, I'm the one who moves kings. Come here, attack this, that one, because it's all working out for whom? For my elect. See, God's entire plan in history is connected with his elect. That is why if we are part of his elect, we are lucky. Because everything God is doing is for us. Okay? And this is the, what you call the, the, the wonder of election. The issue here is, 
You can live your life like every generation without reference to God and therefore without reverence to God. If you don't show reference to God in your life, you will also will not have reverence to God in your daily decisions. That you are so swallowed by the temporal, you know, temporal. And look at how Jesus puts it across when he uses illustrations, when he teaches. No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you come to Luke and chapter 17. When he talks about the temporal, he makes it very clear. Okay, chapter 17, verses 26 onwards. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, a person whose time the world was judged, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man, the, the time when he is coming. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. In the same way, in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire, sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And verse 30 says, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Now, if you look at verse 27 and 29, what is interesting is, scripture says, destroyed them all. Everybody. Everybody who did not take warning, nobody was spared. Nobody was spared. Destroyed them all. Everybody. Lot, sorry, Noah and eight, except Noah and his family members, eight people in total, everybody. In Lot's case, except Lot and his two daughters, everybody, all, destroyed all. Reason? None of them had an eye on eternity. Everybody's eye was, nothing they did, if you look at it, what is described over there is harmful. They're all harmless. Eating, drinking, planting, sowing. Now, today would we would say going to college, tuitions, no? no, exam after exam after exam, all those things, shopping, buying, selling, eating, all normal. But God says when you do these normal things, remember, Noah also did these normal things. It's not that 220 years he just built an ark. He also had to sow and reap to eat. Okay, But while he was doing this, his eye was on the ark, not on his field. Okay, So it, it, it does not say Noah did not plant. Noah built an ark. The focus is on what he is building. It's not that you don't have a career. You're not doing your jobs. You're not building your homes or building. But your focus is always to see that, you know what, the eternal, eternal, eternal. No eye can see eternity. You have to see it with eyes of faith. Okay? So you have to be very, very careful. You could be doing the very normal thing that everybody is doing. Or you could be incredibly successful. You're doing the extraordinary. And in the extraordinary, the very familiar portion again in Luke chapter 12 and verse 20. You know, he tells the rich man, remember? The rich fool. God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Now, what does he say? He didn't say this very day. This very night. Meaning, you are going to die when you are not even aware of it. You will die in your sleep. It's very night. 
And what does God say there? He says, this very night, what will be demanded? Your life will be demanded from you. Why demanded? Because our life is not our own. It was given by God and it will be taken by God. We don't own it. We don't own it. Please understand that. Everybody is alive here. But the life, the breath that is in us did not come from us. It came from God. God says, I will demand it because it is mine. He can, he gave it, therefore he can take it any time. And God's patience is what we struggle to understand. Why are we alive? Because God is patient. Uh, two different portions in the Bible which describes God's patience differently. One is in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is God patient with us? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. And how do you escape being being destroyed? By repentance. God is giving us more and more and time. Every time you hear the word, every time you wake up, every time you are aware, repent, repent, repent and he's giving you more and more and more time. He says he's patient because in his incredible mercy, he doesn't want anybody to perish. Now the other side of his patience, that is found in the book of Romans and chapter 9. Okay, verse 22. What if God, choosing his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? The object of his salvation, he shows incredible patience. The objects of his wrath, he shows incredible patience. Both sides. Okay, sometimes the wicked live longer and longer and longer and lower. The righteous die early. And the wicked who is living longer and longer and longer and longer, God says, it's your patience. My patience. You don't even realize you're an object of my wrath. But I'm still showing patience to you. So to those who are being saved, and those who will not be saved, God is still patient. That is why when they were entering into the temple, their eyes always caught sight of these two pillars. What is that? The sovereignty of God, it is who established in the absolute undefeatable power of God, the providence of God, the sovereignty and power of God. And true faith is the ability to see this and surrender to the will of God. Scripture will talk about, no, we, we, I see preachers taking that one verse and twisting it to mean what it doesn't mean. No? Or it only means partially. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, unseen. Scripture says in the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And Hebrews 11, 2 says that that's how we know. You know? How do we know God created the heavens and the earth? Because by faith. We know. We don't need a science class. You don't need to go to Brilla Mandir or San, what you call that? A crematorium. <laughs> Not crematorium, but this is a planetarium. It is a crematorium. You know? <laughs> it is a crematorium because all those who don't believe God created, go there and look up. Those who believe God created, look here. 
ियम बिकम्स फर्स्ट सैनिटोरियम देन इट बिकम्स ए क्रिमेटोरियम फेथ इज द एबिलिटी एक्चुअल एबिलिटी टू सी दैंड ऑफ गॉड इन द लाइफ ऑफ मैन एंड सरेंडर एंड यू सी दिस इन द लाइफ ऑफ पीपल इन द बाइबल दैट्स वाई वी स्टडी द बाइबल दैट्स वाई वी स्टडी द ओल्ड टेस्टमेंट टू सी नॉट टू स्टडी एब्राहम not to study isaac not to study jacob joseph david solomon to see the hand of god the ways of god in their lives and god has been kind to all of them if you look at it patient with all of them even the likes of ahab and manasseh is been very patient and very kind but often our hearts are often ex exposed by the word exposed by the word okay now we are getting into couple of kings our hearts are exposed by the word even when he does not see god god seeks and speaks to kings even when god does not when uh, the man does not seek god god seeks him out and speaks to him Now look at first kings. Let's go to first kings. And chapter 22. In verse 8. The king of Israel, this is who? Ahab. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me always bad he is mikaiah son of imla did you see now what is interesting here is the word of god has nothing to do with good and bad this got to do with truth see we don't realize ahab's heart is often our heart we want the word of god to speak good to us when we are bad He's not actually judging Mikhaya. He was judging God. He said, "This guy will never say anything good about me. He'll only say bad about me." But the job of the servant of God or the word of God is not to say good and bad to you, tell you what is true, because God is truth. Why would you want somebody to say something good when it is not true? Now let's say Jyoti is sitting over here. and she has no clue her whole face has got black kajal over it and look they jyoti are looking so pretty do you want to hear that is that true it's not true but the word of god speaks truth please understand this bible is very clear and paul wants in the book of Thessalonians letter to Thessalonians god allows people to be deceived and to be destroyed because not if they did not hear truth because they refused to receive the love of truth not because they did not hear truth many millions who heard the truth are in hell not because they did not hear the truth it's because they did not receive the love of truth And if you listen to exactly what he is saying listen to what he is saying there is still one man through whom we can enquire of the lord but i hate him why do you hate him 
because he never prophesies anything good about me. That means he has heard him many times in the past. So Micaiah is not unknown to him. His word is not unknown to him. He has heard him. Though we are seeing him for first time here with Ahab, we know Ahab knows him very well. Ahab knows him very well. So he has heard from Micaiah all these times. He has heard the truth from the prophet's mouth, but he has never changed. But the word still remained true. And because he has never changed, he exactly knows what this guy will come and say. See, one of the reasons people seek different, different, different prophets about the same issue is because they're hoping to find somebody who will tell that they are good. Ahab's downfall was not caused by the lack of truth. His downfall was caused by the rejection of truth. The funniest thing, if you actually read the Bible, is when actually when Micaiah comes over there, the messenger also tells him all the 400 prophets are saying the same thing. You also say the same thing. Okay, same thing. And he says the same thing. The funniest part is Ahab's comment in verse 16. The king said to him, how many times must I tell you, swear to tell me nothing but the truth? Can you imagine? First he tells, you know that guy? You'll never say anything good about me. So first time he comes and says something good about you, he says, you are lying. Because actually he was lying. He's not telling that. You want to hear what you want to hear in your heart? I will tell you. I'll tell you what you want to hear. How many times I have told you? You must be kidding. You never told me that you want to hear the truth. That's why a question we always ask. How many prophets do you need to hear the truth? One. How many books do you need to read to know the truth? One. Once you have read this, every book you pick is connected with this truth. Not your fancies. And our struggle is always with truth. And because we don't receive the love of truth, God is also not able to discipline us. One of the most interesting scenes in the Bible actually happens in this chapter. You have two different things happening. Here is the king of Judah and king of Israel sitting in all their splendor. In their royal robes, it's a council, 400 prophets, one genuine prophet, counselors, the whole council is going on. It's a council that is going on earth. But unseen to them, there is another council that's happening in heaven. The two councils. And God said, this is what you need to hear. There is this council of men taking place over here, even here. And there is a council of God taking place over here. Even when we are sitting over here and we are listening, there is something that is happening always in the unseen realm. There is another council that is gathering. You and I can say whatever we want. Like I said, Trump, Putin, Li Jinping, or Modi, we can all come together, the four most powerful people in the world. All of them can come together. But it is not determined by them. If you look at that same portion in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 22 
and verse 23. When finally he speaks, he says in verse 23, the second part, the Lord has decreed. What? Disaster upon you. You can sit and make all your counsels and plans over here. God has already made his decree up there. What is that decree? It is disaster. The question is, which counsel will Ahab hear? Will Ahab hear? He said, you never tell me anything, but how many times have I told you to tell me the truth? Okay, here's the truth. You want to hear the truth? Can you handle the truth? Here is the truth. God has already decreed. What is that? Disaster. If you go, you will die. The seeking of God's will for so many people within the church is just like Ahab seeking God's will. They are hoping, repeatedly, repeatedly asking, finally they can change God's mind and get God to align to their will. But God has already decreed. They don't want to hear the truth. So the problem is, even if you dress differently, like Ahab, the truth will not evade you. It will hit your mark. It has already been decreed. So you go to the battlefield dressed like an ordinary man and send the other king dressed as the king. Something has already been decreed in heaven. The arrow won't miss you because the arrow has been directed at you whichever way you dress. It doesn't matter how you change your costume. God says there is a decree. So it's good for you to listen to that decree and obey that decree and stay home. If you don't obey that decree, the decree will come to pass. It doesn't matter what camouflage you use. It will not work. It will not happen. And this is exactly what Jesus told, told Pilate. When Pilate asked him this question, are you a king? Jesus said very clearly over there, he said, I am a king. He said, you are right in saying I am a king. For, in fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world. For what? To testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth, he says, listens to me. We don't even realize that our, our attitude and our reaction to God's decrees, His word, His truth, actually tells us on which side we are. On which side we are. That's the key. That's what he's actually telling over there. He says, you know what? Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. The truth may be hard, but when we hear the truth, we repent. And that itself tells us we are on the side of truth. Okay. Ahab did not repent. He did not change his mind. Instead, what did he do? He was planning a very devious thing, thinking, okay, this prophet has spoken, but let me see. They will go after the king. So what will I do? I will send Jehoshaphat as the king. Dress. He's also a king anyway. I will dress, tell him, you go in your royal robes. I will go as an ordinary person. So they will kill him. Which is true. They chased him. And he ran for his life. But one fellow accidentally, that's what the world says, but that was God's incident. Just an accident. We think it as accident, but it is God himself who is propelling this man to pull his arrow, shoot the arrow. And scripture says there was one chink in the armor. It went right through and I have his dead in a few hours time. He's gone. Because it has been decreed. And if you go against that decree in your self-will, he says, destruction will come. 
at the end, destruction will come. This is what God tells us. Let me get deeper into this. Knowledge alone does not make us. Though we need knowledge. Circumstances alone, right circumstance alone does not make us. What makes us is our decisions. Even if we have knowledge and even if we have the best of circumstances, yet our choices will ultimately decide where we end. You can have the best of knowledge and the best of circumstances, yet decide something else altogether. Altogether. If you look, Solomon had all the wisdom, all the riches, and the best of circumstances. You have to look at how the Bible describes Solomon's time for Solomon. Okay? Let me read. Okay? First Kings chapter 4 and verse 24 and 25. For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the river from Tifsa to Gaza and had peace on all sides. He had no enemies. No enemy would dare to come against Solomon. He had peace on all sides. Scripture says, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, each man under his own wine and fig tree. That is it. Absolute peace. Now, if you go to Second Chronicles and chapter 9 and verse 22, this is what scripture says. Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. So he had peace, absolute peace in his kingdom. He had wisdom like no other king and he had wealth like no other king. And if you come to chapter 8 and verse 7, scripture says, all the people left from the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Remember the seven nations? God told about Joshua. What Joshua couldn't do. What the judges couldn't do. What Saul couldn't do. What David couldn't do. Scripture says, that is their descendants remaining in the land whom Israelites had not destroyed. These Solomon conscripted for his slave labor as it is to this day. Are you getting it? All the enemies outside pay tribute to him. All the other inside were his slaves. He had wisdom, he had riches, he had peace. So if you look at it, everything was going for him. But this does not make us immune from sinning and making wrong choices. All this can be. Yet ultimately we will be decided, our life will be decided by the choices we make. And you will see the choice, the turning point in Solomon's life is seen in, uh, it recorded in Second Samuel and uh, uh, chapter 12. No, not Second Samuel, sorry. Not Second Samuel, yeah, First, uh, First Kings chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. Why? Because they will surely turn your hearts away from their gods. Okay? 
So it talks about uh, all the wives and the concubines, etc. But look at verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of his father David had been. Verse 6. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. And verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. If you look at it, the narrative over there, over and over, what is the word that is repeated? The heart is repeated. Heart, heart, heart. He could blame it on anything. The word of God is very clear. It directly points to the heart. Directly points to the heart. And that's why one of the things which God always tells us is this. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. In Hebrews 3, we will know that they went astray in their hearts. So here God says something in verse 4 and 6. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. And in verse 6, he did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. So what is so special about David's heart? He was a sinner who also had many wives and concubines. Not only that, he coveted another man's wife, took her and killed her husband too. But the difference here is David loved God with all his heart and he was fully devoted to God with all his heart. What does that mean? It does not mean that David or you or I won't sin. But David was always determined to get back with God. David turned his heart back to God. Solomon turned his heart away from God. And you will see the Bible talking about two kinds of heart. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15, scripture says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The problem with Solomon and Ahab and all these people was they kept on hardening their heart. But David in Psalm 51 will talk something else. In Psalm 51 and verse 17, he will say, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You will not despise. So the key is this. You see, you have to look at it because what God, because we will think that, oh, unless I'm perfect, then there is no way. That's not what God is saying. God compares Solomon to David, compares every king to David. And if you look at David's history, David failed miserably. But David was restored incredibly. And the simple reason he was in is the way he came back. The way he came back. The way he turned his heart back to God. Even God, even when God pronounces judgment over Solomon, over Solomon, if you look at the same portion in 1 Kings chapter 11, you, know, you will see, even when he pronounces judgment, in verse 12 and 13, he will honor David. He says, 
I will most certainly tear the kingdom from you, give it to one of your subordinates, meaning I will humiliate you. I will give it to one of your employees. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, not because of you, not because of you, to David, your father, I will not do it during your time. In verse 13, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. You getting it? Even when judgment is being passed upon Solomon, he says, I will still honor your father because of the way he repented, the way he turned his heart back. Okay, For a season, he wouldn't listen. A season, he went in darkness. But he repented and he turned back the whole way. Therefore, he says, even when I'm judging you because your heart has gone astray and you're not coming back, he says, I will show mercy because of him. And David understood this, that there was nothing more important in his life than his relationship with God. And he was not going to allow anyone or anything or even his own sin destroy his relationship with God. Anyone, anything, or even his own sin. That's why the Bible always talks about David's heart, that his heart was different. And in the New Covenant, if you look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, God upholds David, even in the New Covenant. In verse 22, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And he will do everything I want him to do. Everything. Solomon had no enemies, within or without. But he was going to destroy by himself, single-handedly, everything he had built. He will destroy his temple, he will destroy his home, the palace, and he will destroy the kingdom. Everything that he built, he will destroy. Why? Simply because he didn't turn back. Simply didn't turn. He didn't. That's why scripture says, guard your heart. Because anything and everything that comes between you and God, guard your heart. Because God's word is true. Time has no effect on God's word. Time does not dilute God's word. That's what is happening today. You're using time and secular culture to dilute the word of God. Even for children who are listening. In your heart, if you don't put God first, let me tell you straight, you will be destroyed. doesn't matter how successful you become. Because he said it. He's not coming for half-hearted people. He's coming for a setup who are fully hearted, fully after God. And God has never changed it. If you look at what God had said in Deuteronomy and chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, He's telling Israelites, do not go, I'm taking into this land, all these people are there, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your son. What is the, why does he say don't intermarry with these people? And he tells it very clearly why you shouldn't marry them. Reason? For they will turn your sons from following me. That's the reason. They will turn their hearts away from me. Hearts from me. And what happens? And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. That's the only reason. That's it. 
you have to realize why does god put such a strong onus upon our relationship because he says your relation life is all about relationship if you put any relationship above your relationship with god what will happen is they will turn your heart away from god they'll turn your heart away from god and that will ultimately bring destruction and i myself will destroy you and to the kings you know familiar portion if it bible is familiar for you then it's a familiar portion deuteronomy chapter 17 and you will see about the kings verse 14 about when you enter the land the lord your god is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it you will say let us set a king over us like all the nations around us be sure to appoint over you the king the lord your god chooses It's okay, I know ultimately we'll pick a king, but don't pick a king like the others. Let me choose a king for you. You know the first king was chosen by them. The second king was chosen by God. Don't pick. Okay? Now what does it mean? It means to you all young people sitting over here. A day will come when you will move out of of the church. You will have to move out to other places. And that is the day you will choose a church for yourself. when you choose a church for yourself god says be very careful you choose a church that is after god's own heart which doesn't water down his standards which does not dilute the word don't pick churches that makes you comfortable okay be sure he must be from among your brothers do not place a foreigner over you one who is not a brother is right Then he says to the king the king moreover must not acquire great number of horses for himself or make the people return to egypt to get more of them for the lord has told you we know this we have looked at it you are not to go back that way again he says you will not go back in the way of the world i brought you out of egypt you will not go back that way don't go back that way it will destroy you if you are going to put your trust in your riches and in your numbers he says you will be destroyed that's exactly what that happens in the last days church laodicea they said we have everything that means they have numbers they're no longer interested in evangelism because the church is full and they have plenty of money and god says you know what you gone the way of the world and god is outside in that church he's not there everything is happening inside but god is not there in that church and then he must not take many wives why they will turn his heart We think God is against polygamy. Yes, He is. But why? What is the reason? He just—it's not just against something for no reason. Every time He will tell you a reason. The reason is why? Because they will turn your heart away from God. They will turn your heart away from God. And then He tells the kings. He tells the kings, when He takes the throne of His kingdom, He is to write for Himself a scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are the Levites. Usually there are. The scroll is only in the temple, but he said one man in the kingdom who should have a personal copy of the Bible is the king. You should get it written and have a personal copy. What he is telling the king, you should have a personal copy. You should have a personal copy of the law, and it is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life. I don't know whether that is told to the priest, but it is told to the king. The king, you need to realize if you want to reign in my kingdom. you have to read the word every day of your life and not only read it you have to revere 
honor the word of god so i'm telling you looking at everybody sitting out here if you think you are a king and a priest in the new covenant you don't honor god's word and you don't read it every day you're already disqualified god doesn't even consider doesn't even consider because i have set rules for priests and kings these are the rules and why is it so important because the end is so close where god says even the very elect themselves will be deceived if it god hath not shortened that days the very elect forget the others even the elect themselves will fall away if god doesn't shorten so god says as a king as a spiritual king in the new covenant what is your attitude to my word how do you revere it and then he should not turn yeah and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left then and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in israel did you see this was all told to them saul knew this but he never read the i don't i don't think saul ever read the bible don't think he was ever interested david did solomon definitely knew and all this is written in relationship with their god And when was this written if you look at Solomon's time it was written 480 years earlier But what God speaks is always true it does not matter that Solomon broke what God said 480 years and never repented and turned back This time has no effect on God's word That's why Jesus puts in terms of time heaven and earth will pass away that is time But my word will not it is always eternal So it did not matter this was given through Moses Moses is dead Joshua is dead the judges have ruled for almost 450 years Saul is dead David is dead Solomon breaks it God says it will come to pass my word does not pass away it doesn't pass away for you or me so he says the only option to people is that when you hear my word don't harden your heart is repent and turn back He says I will discipline you I will discipline you because I love you. And when I am disciplining you, he says, turn back. Otherwise what will happen? Like Saul, he said, I took my love away from him. I took my mercy away from him. And ultimately he was destroyed. He was destroyed. And in the hour of trial he cried out, God wouldn't even speak to him because he had already removed his mercy from him. Is that what God speaks is true. And if we go against it, then God says, you are destined to lose. So whether we are like Ahab or Solomon it does not matter it does not matter it does not matter we know the account of Josiah right in 2 Kings 23 and verse 13 the account of Josiah 23 verse 13 we know it but in another context let us read it 2 Kings chapter 23 verse 13 got it verse 13 says The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption the one Solomon king of Israel had built for Asherah the wild goddesses of Sidonians for Chemosh the wild god of Moab and for Molech the detestable god of the people of Ammon Who built it How long was it there From the time of Solomon till the time of Josiah How long 315 year 50 years and 16 generations 16 kings 16 kings it took another 16 kings to come and go before it was destroyed 
Do you know what God is saying? What Solomon did? He damaged himself. He damaged his house. He damaged his nation. And he damaged subsequent generations. When he refused to turn back. That's why God says, love God with all your heart. Solomon sowed destruction simply because he didn't do one thing. What is that? He did not set his heart in seeking God all his life. Our problem is we set our heart in seeking God during certain periods of our life. Not all our life. They all set their heart for seeking. Saul set his heart seeking God. Solomon said, all of them set their heart. But, and that's something honestly telling you when I go, I'm tired of people asking me for prayer for success. Tired. Tired. Is that all that you want? Is that all you see? Is that all that you understand? Look at Second Chronicles as I close. A couple of more verses and we close. Second Chronicles. Chapter 12. Verse 1. See, Rehoboam had, if you look at the circumstances, God's decree has come. You have to always accept God's judgment in your life. Okay, don't fight it. When God has decreed something, don't fight it. If it is irrevocable, you can't do about it. Ten tribes goes to Jeroboam. Two tribes come to Rehoboam. Rehoboam should be very, very glad. Thank you, Lord. You know what? I got Judah. And I know your word. The scepter comes from Judah. I got Jerusalem. The temple is in Jerusalem. I got my father's counselors, my father's palace, my father's wealth. It's with me. Thank you, Lord. That's how we should be looking at. Okay? That's how we're looking at. But read verse 1. After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all Israel with him abandoned the Lord. This is what happens to people in Christendom even today when they become successful. As soon as they become successful, the pay grade goes up, they stop coming. Stop coming. They don't have to be successful, they just have to think they are successful. Goes. Finished. And you don't realize this is a pattern in history. Pattern in history. As soon as he established, it's God who helped him. You look at it, it's God who helped him. The God who gave him success. But as soon as he was established, successful, in our terms, related to our terms, successful, what happens? He turned. And it was a choice he made. It's a choice we make. It's a choice we make. That's why God loved God loved David. Second Chronicles chapter 12, same chapter and verse 14. What does it tell about Solomon's son? He did evil. He did evil. Why? Why do we do evil? And why don't we repent from our evil? Because we do not set our heart in seeking God. Set our heart. It's the word. Set our heart. This is the key. Why did God love David? Why did God? Because he could be successful like no man, but he continued seeking God. He could fall to the depth. From there he will continue. That's why he says, where can I hide from you? He says, I know heaven, I know hell. 
Because when I was walking in obedience, it was heaven for me. When I sinned like no man, it was hell for me. But I cannot hide from you. Because I'm still seeking you in my success and in my failure. I'm still seeking you. That's why it's heaven and hell to me. We don't experience hell or heaven because we don't seek him. And if we seek him, we will know heaven and we will know hell. We'll know heaven and hell. Because heaven and hell is not a place. It is presence or absence of God. What is hell? Hell is a place there will be absolutely no presence of God. Even now in this world we enjoy because there is presence of God. There is an omniscient presence. Hell will be absolute total darkness and no presence of God at all. Nobody should ever go there. It was prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. But he says that's hell where there is nothing about God there. And David says, you know what? I have known you God. And I am in hell. This is the key. Setting our hearts to seek him. And God, you look through the record of the kings, is an incredibly patient, merciful God. Even those kings who did not seek him, he still sought them. He still, when Ben-Hadad comes and all, these are all wicked kings. He still loves a few remnant who will be there and will send a prophet and says, don't fear. I'm there for you. Do this. I will do this. Ahab, Manasseh, everybody, Solomon, everybody, Saul, everybody he sent his prophets. He's very patient. And he says, set your heart. This evening, this evening, set your heart in seeking God. God, we never should come to a point in our life where God has removed his mercy from us. Set your heart in seeking God. Set your heart in seeking Him today. Set your heart. Young people, I'm telling you, set your heart. No? I don't ask these questions because it's the, the answer could be very embarrassing. That's why I never ask in the church anywhere. How many of you read your Bible today? I never ask. Because it's very embarrassing answers. The fact that most people actually don't read their Bible. How many of you prayed today? I'm not talking about prayer, Lord, give me good health and good wealth. No, I'm not talking about that as prayer. That as your will, thy kingdom. Thy name. Really meaning it. And think about it. Think about it. Honestly, think about it. Where are we going? We are right at the end of... end. It's it's all falling into place. The labor pains. If labor pains are there, there definitely there is a birth going to happen. And Jesus said, these are all labor pains. And the gospel, like I told the pastors, there's only one thing. They asked him at the temple, what are the signs of your coming? They asked him that in verse 2. Gave the answer in only verse 14. He says, these, 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 these are all signs of labor pains. But this is the sign. The gospel shall be preached to all nations and the end shall come. End shall come. The question is, do you know? The gospel is not preached to the ends of the world because more people listen on the net today, on social media and internet and YouTube than any other format. No pastor can get an audience like he gets on the internet. Nobody can. No man has ever preached to so many people over the internet like today. Everywhere. Trouble is happening all over and people are all logging in looking for comfort. You don't realize the comfort we face and the discomfort people face outside when in Hong Kong. Everybody, not sure where is it going. In US, in the Middle East, everywhere. Where is this world going? And you know where they seek comfort? And when they are seeking, God leads them 
to a word on the internet. They hear, they believe, they get saved. Every day, tens and thousands are getting saved on cyberspace. Because he is the God of cyberspace too. And nobody will know when the gospel has reached every nation. Every nation. Nobody will know. No man will know. That's why God is not bothered that every crusade has been blocked in India. He's not bothered. More people are listening than every any, any crusade that ever happened here in history. He's not bothered by any of those things. It's happening. So scripture says, when that is done, he comes. And if he comes, or we die. We die. How many we heard this week? How many we heard this week? And the calls I get are also this. Cancer, cancer, cancer from CMC Vellore. Cancer, 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 cancer. Young, old, everything. Stroke, cancer. And most of them are not old. Accidents. It's appointed to every man to die once. And that's when Or Jesus comes. One of these two eventualities. And God is telling us, set your heart. Set your heart. Fix it. Set your heart means fix your heart towards God. Do everything. You have to do everything. No also planted, no also harvested, no also ate, no also drank, but he set his heart on his salvation. Set his heart on that. Everything else he did. No, if you, if you, if you had on the GTC, you got a forward of a picture, right? What did it say? Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Who is that you think about most of the time? What is that you think about most of the time? Shows you where your heart is. Heart is. That's why God loved David. He was a man who goofed up like no man. But you could be very sure about his heart. His heart was always set on God. Set on God. Therefore God could correct him. And it didn't matter. He would always come back and say, Lord, this is I am. This is I am. This is I am. And God said, Old Testament, New Testament, every king compared to David. That was my man. That was my man. He's not looking at his sins. He's looking at his heart. And that's what he looks at every one of us today, at our heart. Where is and what on is our heart set on? Or what is our heart set on? Amen? Let's pray. Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. And we ask your forgiveness, your mercy, Lord. Often our heart strays away from you. Our thoughts, you do not even cross our thoughts often. And when it does, it's because we want you to help us with something our heart is set on. And we seek so many prophets and counselors, not because we want to know your will, but like Ahab, we don't like your will. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy, 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 Lord. This night, Lord, help us to set our heart right. That our heart is set on you, set on seeking you, to repent and to turn back and to seek you and to love you. And I pray, Father, that your love, your mercy will be never taken away from all of us. You will use the hands of men and the floggings of men to discipline whom you love. That's fine, Lord. That's fine. All that is fine, Lord. All we pray, do not take your mercy away from you. 
like Saul afterwards. He never heard you. He never heard your voice. No one spoke to him about you. His ears were shut forever. And when he died, he was sent to a place where he would never hear your voice again. I pray, Father, that would never be our fate. That you would never, Father, I pray, take your mercy, your love from us. Help us this night to set our heart right and set our heart on you. Thank you, Lord. You brought us safely. And I pray you reach every brother, sister, near and far, to our home safely, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.